I'm getting more hours than anybody else. Awesome. It's in alignment with what I wanted. I'm all for it. That year was the busiest year we had ever had as a company. And I spent 10 months at least, maybe even a little bit more, but 10 months out of the 12 months living on the road because most of our contracts were in other states. So that year I worked in... I worked in New York, I worked in Connecticut, I worked in Rhode Island, I worked in Pennsylvania, I worked in Virginia, New Jersey. I was all over the place. And but you're still paying double for an apartment. <laughs> I was still yeah, I was literally never there. It was a giant waste of money. But I had enough money, so to me it was like I would rather pay for the certainty and comfort of having my own place than than have to worry about it. Cuz money for me was certainty, right? So I'm sure we'll get into that. So I'm grinding my face off, grinding, 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 whatever, staying up for days on end again, whatever. I don't care. So we get to the end of the year. I have my final pay stub in hand. And I'm like, did I do it? This is the moment of truth. And Janae, I am standing at my kitchen table because when my girlfriend left, she took the chairs. And I'm never, I don't even have chairs at my dining room table because I'm never home. I don't care. I'll eat on the couch. So I, I opened my final pay stub and I made $100,000 at 26, no college degree, quote unquote, made it. But I remember thinking. Hello and welcome to Be The Wolf. I am your host, Jenea Barnes. Many people struggle to be the fullest, biggest, truest versions of themselves. They bend to fit into other people's ideals of who and what they should be. They tame their brilliance to avoid judgment and gain approval. A long time ago, people attempted to tame the wilderness of Yellowstone National Park by eradicating predators. Taming the wilderness collapsed the ecosystem. But there's hope. In the mid-90s, 41 wolves were introduced into the park and with this, the ecosystem replenished itself and flourished. The wolves did nothing but be exactly who they are meant to be and do what they were born to do. So I say to you, be the wolf. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Be the Wolf. I'm excited today. We're going to talk about money. And everybody, anytime I post something about money, everybody is, money would make all the difference, or that's the thing that'll make me happy. I just need money, 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 money. <laughs> but is it really the key to your happiness? We're going to talk about a lot of things today, but we'll definitely touch on that. So if you think money is the key to your happiness, be sure that you keep listening. I'm here today with Kevin Palmieri, and he is a podcast host, a speaker, and a podcasting coach. You guys can tell me if you think I need to hire him. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do? Tell us about you. Yeah. So first of all, thank you so much for having me, Janae. I appreciate it very much. Today, I am a podcast host. We have a podcast. We do an episode every day. So I am in front of this microphone constantly. I'm also the CFO and the founder of our podcast. So I am in charge and in control and focused on the money. So it's very, very appropriate that we're talking about the money. And at the end of the day, we just we want to bring holistic self-improvement to the masses. We believe that self-improvement can change your life. If you understand yourself at a deeper level, you can understand the world at a deeper level and you can make more long-term intelligent decisions. So that's what we're trying to bring to the world, Janaea. 
I love that. And I think that kind of answers my why you do what you do. Is there anything else you want to add to the why do you do what you do? Yeah. So my my business partner and I, I have a co-host and a co-founder and a business partner. We were both raised in households where self-improvement wasn't a thing. We were both raised by women. I was raised by my mom and my grandmother. He was raised by his mom and his sister. And we believe that if we had more positive male influences in our lives, our lives would look different. So that's a big part of why we do what we do in the way we do it. Hmm. That's interesting. I was raised by a single mom and there was no self-improvement in the house. <laughs> None of that. And I don't think they grew up with self-improvement in the house. It might, it could be a generational thing too. Mm. I think there's, I think a lot of people can relate to the idea of self-improvement not being something that was on the table, that was yes. work hard, do what you're supposed to do and keep going and <laughs> somehow it'll all magically be okay. Mm. And as people get to retirement and then they get there, they're like, oh, it's still not okay. Yeah. We improve a lot of stuff, right? That We improve our homes and we improve our cars and we improve, we improve a lot of stuff. But the second you start talking about self-improvement, for some people, there's that trigger of, uh, I don't know, that's a little weird or that's a little taboo or it's a little quirky. So, but I understand. I used to think that as well. And it makes sense when you look at it that way. Right. Well, it's also that I was working on some stuff, the be, do, have thing. And the, the model that most people know is like, if I have the thing, then I can be the person I want to be. Right. And those that are in the self-development world understand that you've got to be the person before you get to have the thing, because you can't really hold on to the thing if you're not the person that yes. has, it's a lit, it's a circle. Yep. So let's talk about, let's start with your story. Let's share your story. I'm trying to think of where the best place to start with would be. Maybe you chose not to go to college. That's a, a great place to start. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. So when I was in high school, I didn't know much and I did not know what I wanted to do with my life, but I knew I didn't want to go to college. So well, everybody else was figuring out where they were going to go and funding and all that stuff. I was trying to figure out what I was going to do for work. So I got a job at a local gas station. And this was kind of the first reality humility check I got early in life. I would go work from six in the morning until two, after, two in the afternoon at the local gas station. It's like five minutes down the road from where I lived. And I would see people who were going to college coming in. And the girls I used to have crushes on coming in. And that was a very, very challenging thing because in my mind, it was like, oh my goodness, everybody is going to think I'm a loser because everybody else is setting themselves up for the future. And it doesn't really seem like I'm doing that. And that was a really, really challenging thing for me to first become aware of and then kind of work through early in life. So I didn't like the gas station anymore. So I stayed there for three or four years and I said, you know what? I got to move on. I did the right thing. Janae, I thought it was the right thing. And I told my boss I was going to look for another job. He fired me the next day. So I was, uh. without, I was without a job. So I had to go get a job because at this point, I'm, I have a car. I'm paying my own bills. I got to figure out how to survive. So I went and applied at a hospital for a position that was called project person. And what I was told I was going to be doing is stripping and waxing floors and doing some like light maintenance. And I was like, all right, cool. That sounds easy enough. 
The only problem is they only had overnight shifts. So I began working 11 to 7, 11 at night to 7 in the morning. Didn't know what that was all about, but let's give it a shot. Then I found out pretty quickly that this was more of like a housekeeping position. So I was cleaning floors. I was cleaning bathrooms. I was cleaning rooms when people would check out or pass away. That was my second dipping my toe into the humility practice because I was not treated super well by doctors and nurses and I was looked down on and right. that was a very, another very unique experience. Can I ask you a question? Please. When you said, okay, well, this seems easy enough. Mm. Was there a part, I know for me, when I was growing up and moving into my adulthood and I, I went to college, not went to college. I bounced around. I was a chemical engineer major dropped out anyway. But I know a big piece of it was if something was really hard, I didn't want to do it mm. because it, I know this now because it made me feel not so great about myself. Mm. When you, can you think about in that point in time when you're like, okay, this is easy enough. Was there any of that in play for you? Yeah. I, I, when I'm saying easy enough, I think it's me decoding. I think I'm competent enough to handle this. I think that's really, because if you think about it, I didn't have any money and this was like, I need a job. I will pretty much take anything. Just give me whatever you got. Do I want to work third shift? Absolutely not. I don't even know what that's like. It's going to uproot my entire life. I'm probably what, 18, 19 years old at this point or, you know, maybe 2021. 20, so that's not great. But yeah, to to your point, there was a lot of necessity. There was just a lot of necessity at the time. And I said, whatever it is, I'll do it. I'll figure it out. I'll try my best. I lasted, I think I lasted a year and a half there. Wow. And then I was like, I can't do this anymore. This is brutal. I want to be a personal trainer. So I studied, I took the test, I passed. What was the place that where you really decided I can't do this anymore. There's that breaking point, right? We get to this place where, oh, if I do this anymore, <laughs> it's so much more painful than making a change. What yeah, was it? For you? I think it was a slow burn because what I would do is I would, I would go work. So I'd work 11 to seven. I would go straight from work to the gym. So I'd work out from like seven to eight 30. I'd go home. And then sometimes depending on the day, I would just stay up. So I, I was staying up for 24 to 36 hours pretty routinely. That's not great for you no. in the long run. So I think it was more of the slow burn of, honestly, this is probably going to be more of a bridge than a foundation. I'm not going to build a house here. I'm just going to try to cross over this. And again, I was very, very, it hurt my self-esteem. I was treated quite negatively by many people there. And I, I just didn't feel great about myself. Yeah. So I said, well, I've always wanted to be a personal trainer. I'm I've been studying fitness. I'm in really good shape. Let me go do that. So then I ended up getting a job as a personal trainer and I signed a contract that said I'd stay there for a year or I'd pay a thousand dollars to get out of my contract. They got mad at me because I didn't like sales and I didn't like making people feel bad about themselves in order to get them to sign up. So I quit and they said, just remember, you got to pay a thousand dollars. And I said, cash, credit, check. What do you want? Like, I'm out. I'm done. I just, that wasn't it, right? I'm searching, I'm searching, I'm searching. I can't find the thing. I don't know what the thing is. Then I go and I'm a truck driver and a forklift operator. I did that for like a year and a half or two years. That wasn't it. I did the fire academy because I wanted to become a firefighter. 
okay, I did that, but then I'm broke. And then I got the quote unquote opportunity that really, really changed my life. So I went to this, it was kind of like a, a miniature trade school. And they said, we're going to teach you something here called weatherization. And I was like, sounds easy enough. I'll give it a shot. I can handle that. Let me, let me do this. Easy enough. Again. Easy enough. So I, I graduate from this class. Weatherization is pretty much people come into your house and they make it more energy efficient, right? So they blow insulation in your wall. They seal holes in your attic, all that stuff. So I graduate this class. I'm doing my kind of my exit interview. And they said, okay, we have this really good company we want to connect you to. It's the best company here. You have a great personality. You're going to crush it. The only downside is that there's travel involved and the office is in Boston, which is like an hour away from me. And I was like, I am out. I do not want to travel. I'm a homebody and I'm not driving to Boston every day. They said, well, you'll be starting at $60 an hour. And I was like, no, that's not real. None of this is real. This can't be real. This is not real. And I said, well, I'm open to hearing more information about this job. Interesting the how money. we become more interested in something we don't want yes. when there's more money on the yes. table. Yes. So I said, give me a call, have the boss call me, whatever, whatever needs to happen for me to get more information. I'd love to learn more. Let me see what happens. So I get a call from my potential boss and he says, Hey, come in for an interview. Well, I just want to get to know you, see if you're a good fit. So I'm dressed in my finest garments that I have, which are not very fine at the time. And he kind of puts me to work. We're out in the trailer, like moving stuff around. And I was like, oh, this is not going to go well. And again, I, I get this a lot too, which I'm very, very grateful for. He said, you have a great personality. You're going to fit in really well here. I'm going to bump you to the front of the line. We have a job starting in a couple months, survive for a couple months and we'll get you, we'll get you going. Is that good? And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm in. Okay, cool. So a couple months goes by, I get a call. He's like, hey, it's go time. So I lived in Massachusetts. The first job we were going to work was in Delaware which is like an eight hour ride. So I tell my mom and my grandmother, I got this job. I'm going to go to Delaware. And they're like, what do you mean? I said, I don't know. That's where the job is. Like, I'm, I'm going to Delaware. So I drive to the office to meet my boss for the second time with my suitcase. I get in a vehicle with a man I've met one time. We drive eight hours from Massachusetts to Delaware. I move into a house that the company had rented with five, six, seven other strangers. And then I proceeded to do a job that I had never done before because I, I assumed it was going to lead me to success. One thing, I, there was a little caveat. He gave me a caveat before we left. And this was, this was the moment that really shifted. He said, just so you know, for the first week, you're kind of on probation, so you're going to make $10 less an hour than everybody else. And I was like, I knew it. I knew there was some sort of, of kicker. And he said, so you'll, you'll only be making $50 an hour. And I was like, what? No way. This cannot be real. I work, <laughs> so, so we get down there. And I literally only had enough money to get bread, deli meat, and chips. So I ate bread, deli meat, and chips every day for the first week because I didn't have enough money to get food. I got my first check and it was 35 hours at $50 an hour. And I was like, no way. This is real. Oh my goodness, this is real. That was the day that I locked in and I said, I will do whatever it takes to stay here. That was a really a day that shifted my life forever because for the first time ever, I had felt successful. That was the first time I ever felt like a successful man. I'd never, ever, ever felt that feeling before. So that was the beginning of that, that next layer of the journey for me. 
and what cha what changed within you do you think because it's a pivotal moment of knowing something is dramatically different yeah i i think it allowed me to borrow confidence mm. i do believe you can borrow confidence from humans and results is it sustainable not probably not long term unless you learn to cultivate it on your own but I have $50 per hour telling me that I'm successful. That's a good launch point for me. I remember I was dating a girl at the time and I remember going home after like the second or third week and I took her out to like a $200 dinner. It was like, wow, this is awesome. Like I've never been able to do this before. This is, this is incredible. Right. I was just so abundant for the first time, not just financially, but emotionally, energetically, I could, it's almost like for the first time ever, I could look into the future. Every other time it's like paycheck to paycheck. What's the next job? I don't know. Like, where am I going to live? What am I doing here? So, but here's the problem. I do that job. I do that job a couple of years and then I'm 25 and I'm making good money. I have a sports car. I had just won a bodybuilding show. So I was quite literally in the best shape of my life. My girlfriend was a model all the things we just moved in together. And one day she comes to me and says, Hey, I'm leaving. I, I want to move across the country. You're not supporting that. I have big dreams. I have big goals. I have big aspirations. I was going to tell you during your bodybuilding prep, but I was, I was genuinely afraid you might kill yourself if I told you I was going to leave. And I was like, Whoa, 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 Whoa. What is happening here? Okay, so I have a question about her. What was it, do you know, looking back, what it was that she saw in you that she might have that fear of you taking your life? Yeah, definitely. I had been to therapy for depression. I One day I was, I was home alone. We, so before we moved in together in that new place, we had lived together in Boston. And we had this really nice apartment we were renting with another couple. And one day I was home alone because I was off work. Everybody else was out. And I remember just playing video games all day. And I, I stopped. And I remember thinking, if this is what life is, like just this dull gray, I, I don't want to do it. I'm not interested. I'm not interested in living my life like this forever. I can't do this. Like there's got to be more than this. And when she got home that day, I told her, I said, hey, I had a really like weird thought today. And I told her and she said, I think you should go to therapy. And I was like, ah, no, 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 not, not even necessary. I'm so strong. I don't even need therapy. I'm going to be fine. Everything's fine. She, so she talked me into at least being open to that opportunity or that thought. So I ended up finding a therapist and, and going to therapy. So I think she recognized the fact that bodybuilding and dieting for so long and exercising so hard every day. Like that took a really, that took parts of me. I will never get back. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't recommend that for anybody unless you know what's happening when you go into it. But I was a shell of myself at the end. And I think she saw that she knew I was not capable of handling that level of feedback. So it's, it's interesting because I used to hate that. Right. I was the guy after she left who said she was crazy and blah, she did the right thing. She did what was best for her. That's what she's supposed to do. That's her job to take care of herself. You said something really interesting there in the bodybuilding, that level of feedback. Mm. So 
you're working out, you're you're making money, you've got the sports car, you've got the model girlfriend, you've got all the things. And talking about that level of feedback going through body building competition. Mm. We've got to have, in theory, a thick skin to be successful. They call it a thick skin, but really it's just that you're solid inside. But yeah, talk to me about the feedback, how that affected you. It, it's very interesting because even if you think of it from external and internal, I had gotten so much external feedback on my body, right? I would literally go see my coach. I'd take off all my clothes, be in my underwear. And he'd say like, yeah, you're a little fat. You know, we need to cut your calories back. And it's like, yeah, cool. I'm good. That doesn't affect me at all. The feedback that she gave me, it just made me feel like a failure. You know, like you're leaving me because I didn't live up to the man that you thought I would be. Just, it was such a challenging thing to hear. You know, one of the other things she said was, you're not the man that you were at the beginning of the relationship. It's like, mm, damn. I tried. I feel like I tried really hard. I think the thing that hurt me the most is I didn't recognize it. I had no idea. I wasn't conscious of it. I didn't, I didn't feel like I was in control of it. I think this is a really important thing for a lot of people to understand when you're talking about like the feedback off the body, it's something in theory that you can control, mm. right? You could drop a few, you can, cut back on the food, you can exercise more, you can control it. But when you're talking about somebody else's opinion of you mm. or experience of you, it feels like it's something that's out of your control. And I know when we're in that space, uh, breakups especially are hit so hard because it's this idea of us being maybe not good enough, but how do you, how do you quantify that? How do you, how is that a tangible thing? And most people are dealing with tangible things, right? I have the sports car. I have the good job. I have the perfect body. I have the girlfriend. I have, have, have all of these things. Yep. And these are tangible things. So that must mean that I'm okay, that I'm good enough or that, you know, I should be lovable. And so I think these are the moments where they do, they really hurt the most because it doesn't matter how much we have, that there still seems to be something missing that somebody might not like. Mm -hmm. And if that's somebody that we want to like us, then it feels like a hole is left. Yeah. And honestly, a lot of it for me was significance. That one of the reasons her leaving me hurt them, like it really hurt me is because it gave me significance having her in my life. Mm. If you think about it, I mean, really think about the level of significance. I'm on state. I'm in the best shape out of anybody I know. It's not close because I'm starving myself every day and exercising seven times a week. So I'm in really good shape and I'm getting complimented on that. I have a really nice car. I'm getting complimented on that. I'm making a lot of money. Everybody looks up to that. My girlfriend's a model. Everybody, everybody says that it's like the level of significance I had was just so high that I think I just assumed it was going to go forever. Now, here's the thing. One of the reasons I think a lot of us don't get into self-improvement is because there's not enough necessity. When she left me, I had like a two week depression of just like, this is brutal. This is terrible. I'm going to grind my face off in the gym and just hide from everything. Then I remember I started saying, okay, 
I am at least, at least 50% of the problems I've had in my relationships. I've never had a successful relationship, successful, but I'm at least 50% of the problems. What can I do? What made you actually say that? I think I was done making excuses. I was done blaming other people. She's not crazy. That it's like, that's such an ego thing. It's such a, it's such, it's such a hide from the truth coping mechanism. And I just think I was sick of that. Yeah. It, it, I was just ready. I became ready to look in those mirrors because I had kind of lost everything that I had. I wasn't in nearly as good a shape anymore because I went on a binge after the show. So I was kind of fat. I lost that like pretty quickly. The quote unquote love of my life was gone. Okay. Work was slow. So I wasn't making as much money as I was before. Like I kind of lost everything in a way in a very short period of time. So it humbled me. It, I got very, very humbled again. Then I started practicing self-improvement, but something happened. This is where I fell for it again. I said, yeah, but you know what? I'm not making a ton of money now. Now my bills are doubled because I'm paying for this apartment. I'm paying for everything by myself. I got to go make a boatload of money. That's what has to happen. I need to make all the money. So I remember saying, I laid in bed and I said, this is the year I'm going to make the most money I've ever made in my entire life. Whatever it takes within alignment. The year starts off. I get a promotion at my job. So I'm a foreman now. As a foreman. Go ahead. And so this place, mm -hmm. and I think we all know it. So many of us know it anyway, is we're lying in bed. We're thinking, okay, my life isn't the way that I want it to be. What is the thing that will fill all of those holes of the girlfriend and the, the this, the paying the rent? If I just make more money, it's going to make all the difference. Yes. So you get promoted. Yes. I got promoted to a foreman. As a foreman, I am in charge of jobs. So I start the job. I run the job and I close the job out. So I'm getting more hours than anybody else. Awesome. It's in alignment with what I wanted. I'm all for it. That year was the busiest year we had ever had as a company. And I spent 10 months at least, maybe even a little bit more, but 10 months out of the 12 months living on the road because most of our contracts were in other states. So that year I worked in... I worked in New York. I worked in Connecticut. I worked in Rhode Island. I worked in Pennsylvania. I worked in Virginia, New Jersey. I was all over the place. And but you're still paying double for an apartment. <laughs> I was still, yeah, I was literally never there. It was a giant waste of money, but I had enough money. So to me, it was like, I would rather pay for the certainty and comfort of having my own place than, than have to worry about it. Because money for me was certainty, right? So I'm sure we'll get into that. So I'm grinding my face off, grinding, 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 whatever, staying up for days on end again, whatever. I don't care. So we get to the end of the year. I have my final pay stub in hand. And I'm like, did I do it? This is the moment of truth. And Janae, I am standing at my kitchen table because when my girlfriend left, she took the chairs. And I'm never, I don't even have chairs at my dining room table because I'm never home. I don't care. I'll eat on the couch. So I, I opened my final pay stub and I made $100,000 at 26, no college degree, quote unquote, made it. But I remember thinking, I don't feel any different. I'm still insecure. I'm still not confident. I still don't know what I really want out of my life. All were you, go ahead. Were you aware that you were insecure and not confident? Because I think a lot of people are in that place and they just feel flat and sort of empty. Mm. Or, But it, it's like 
they get there and it's not what they thought it would be, but they're not aware that it's insecurity and lack of confidence. Yeah, because throughout the year, I was trying to work on being more confident ah. and putting myself out there a little more. One of the one of the things I did was I would go to the mall and just approach girls. I would just try to start conversations with with girls because I was so af afraid of getting rejected. So I tried to practice that. Like there was some self improvement in there. Yeah, but not to the level that it needed to be. Maybe more than more than your average person. I don't know, but yeah, that just came. That just came with more awareness of myself. I knew I was insecure to some to some degree. Yeah. So. I open the pay stub, nothing changes. I feel the same, right? Now, again, I had more money in the bank, which is great. There's certainty, awesome. But it didn't make me feel any different about myself. I realized in that moment that for most of my life, I had lived unconsciously. Going through the motions, I don't know why I'm doing what I'm doing, right? Even the answers, it's like, yeah, it sounds easy enough. The opposite of unconscious is hyperconscious. So I started a podcast called the Hyperconscious Podcast. That's where all this started for me. I wanted to be acutely aware of everything, Jenea. And there's and there's one thing I think was this the time when you heard um heard what's his name say isn't it weird that we wake up every day? Yes. Yeah, so I was yeah. I, I was listening to to a Joe Rogan podcast in bed and he was talking to Duncan Trussell, one of his friends. And he said, "Isn't it weird? It, imagine if an alien came down and landed at your house." and saw you feverishly getting ready for work in the morning, making your coffee, swearing, saying, oh, I don't want to do this today. You leave the house that you can't afford. You get in the vehicle you can't afford to go to the place that provides all of these things for you, but you hate it. And he said, imagine if an alien said like, you love your job, right? No, no, I hate it. Like imagine how somebody who isn't aware of the way we live our lives would perceive that. It wouldn't make any sense logically. You leave the place you love to go to a place you hate that provides for the place that you love. Like interesting. Right. Isn't that an interesting perspective? I was able to see that perspective. I was able to understand that for the first time ever, just because I think I was ready. I, I just was aware enough. So a couple months later, I start a podcast. I'm like, all right, I, I, I have, I have the, the hyper-conscious thoughts. I'm going to interview people on stuff like just like you and I are talking about. Far less aware and far less skilled because I didn't know what the hell I was talking about. I would just interview people and say, what's your biggest fear? What do you want out of life? What do you want your future to look like? Let's just jam. Fell in love with podcasting. The second I opened that pay stub, I fell out of love with my job. I, I've reached the top of the mountain. I'm not willing to do it again. Right. And, and like I said, I have a history of leaving things when I, once I know it's not going to provide what I want, I kind of got to go. So that, that year was off to the busiest year ever. It was even more busy than the, the prior year. I start calling out. I'm leaving the job sites early. I'm showing up late. I am struggling to go. Struggling. I mean, it got to the point where I would have to be in New Jersey, which is six hours from where I lived, Monday morning at 7 a.m. to start a job. I would literally stay home in Massachusetts I would go to bed Sunday at 9 p.m. I would wake up at midnight and then I would drive straight to the job and then I'd work an eight-hour day just because I couldn't stay in a hotel bed for an extra day. I couldn't do it. I was just so done, so done. 
that yeah that's that place where the pain of staying yes. the same becomes greater than the pain of change which is one of my favorite quotes but one of the things that i think is so remarkable here is you had a taste of something that you love mm. you started podcasting yeah. and you had this taste of something that felt so in alignment and brought you a joy that you weren't getting anywhere else and so it makes it, doesn't it just make it so much harder to go do that thing that we hate yes. when we know, when we finally know what it is that we love. I felt fulfillment. That was the first time I'd ever felt fulfillment. Like, why do I enjoy, I enjoy the moment and I'm excited for it. I'm not excited for anything. I, why am I excited to podcast? This is interesting. It, it was a very slow burn. It just, every day it was almost like, eh. That's a little tick off the health marker. Eh, there's another one. Oh, six hour drive. So eventually it got to the point where we were towards the end of the year. And I woke up in a hotel room in New Jersey, 5.30 a.m. Sit up, slide to the edge of the bed and lacing up my work boots. And for reference, these are not nice hotels, right? There's hypodermic needles outside, blood on the walls. Like we stayed at some pretty sketchy places. That morning, it was like there was 10 televisions on in my head at the same time, and every single one is on a different station. Just everything collided at once. One is saying you're stuck here forever. You can't leave. You are so lucky that you ever got this job in the first place. You're going to leave and start over again. You're going to start all the way over. Not a chance. You're not the person who gets this job, never mind the person who leaves. If you ever, ever, ever worked up the courage or recklessness to leave, what are your friends going to say? All your friends think you're super successful and you make more money, all right, significant. What's your family going to say? Your family looks up to you because you make more money than anybody in your family does. And what are we going to do? Are we really, that's the, we're going to podcast? Like that's plan B? That's what we're going with here? And in that moment, I felt that if I was to take my life, I would take my problems with me. Very much the ideation I had had all before this of, I don't want to be here anymore. I cannot do this. I cannot do this anymore. I can't imagine another 25 years of this. No way. So I texted my buddy, who's now, my, he's my business partner now. And I said, hey man, uh, can I talk to you about something? I'm having these dark thoughts and these dark feelings, these emotions. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Like, what do I do? And he said many things, but the thing that I remember the most in his wisdom is he said, Kev, over the last couple of years, your awareness hyperconscious, your awareness has changed a ton, but your environments have stayed the same. I think it's time for you to change your environments. You're outgrowing everything. It's time for you to, to move. And I was like, okay, interesting. So that day in my mind, I think I made up my mind of, okay, I'm not going to be here at this job anymore. Like now I, there's a timer. I don't know the numbers on the timer yet. I can't stay here forever. I'm going to figure something out. I ended up leaving that job three or four months later. And then him and I partnered up and said, we're going to do this together. How was it once you made that decision that you knew, okay, I'm not going to stay in this job? Yeah. What was, how did you feel differently after you made that decision? I was more hopeful because there was an end date. It's almost like, you know, if you, if it's cold outside and you know, you're just running to the mailbox and back, it's not that big of a deal. It's like, eh, it's only going to be a couple minutes. It's not that big of a deal. Versus if you were going to run a marathon, it's like, yeah, oh, that's really going to suck. I knew that the days were numbered. So it gave me hope. There was at least a light at the end of the tunnel. 
And that really helped me. I needed that because before that there was no light. Yeah. There, there wasn't any. I think that's such a place where so many people are sitting there in their jobs, not even realizing, maybe they haven't even quite come to the realization that they're, they're slowly damaging their health, their spirit. You said that slow burn. I like to akin it to how our brake pads go out gradually mm -hmm. and we never even realize that our brakes are going out, but it's little by little. And then there's this place where all of a sudden it's that like you step on the brakes and there's nothing there mm -hmm. and everything starts to collapse. And it's very interesting. I know in my own work, I talk to people and they come to me and they like that idea of having a job that they love. They like that idea of having a career that fulfills them and makes them happy. But the all honesty is they don't believe that it's possible. They believe that work is supposed to be a drudgery because they probably watch their parents go to work day in and day out and live for so-called retirement, live for the weekends and spend half of their time just self-medicating, whether it be just sitting in front of the TV or maybe they're drinking or maybe they're overeating, whatever it is. But I think so many people have had that model of this work just being drudgery. And we spend so much of our time in a job, just going back to that thing. Isn't it weird that mm -hmm. every day we wake up and go to yeah. this job that we don't like? And so once you know that it's possible to have something better, and you know that you're not stuck in jail for the next 25, 30 years, you start to have some hope. Now, where did that hope change to faith? Because there's a very big <laughs> difference between those two things. So I'm curious about that for you. Yeah, this was very hard for me to admit in the beginning because I thought I needed credit and it was just it was just hard. I was I was scared to admit it. A lot of the faith I have is based on my business partner. I mean, real talk. He he he's the guy. If you're on his team, you're going to win. It should, it, that's just the way it works. He wins because he is consistent and he's a genius and he's reverse engineering things. So it was very much, this is what I've always said. Three beliefs every human must have to, to make a new decision. You must believe it's humanly possible, right? It's possible for somebody to jump 10 feet in the air and dunk a basketball. Awesome. Personally possible. It's possible for you. And ultimately it will be worth it. I didn't believe it was possible for me. I wasn't even sure that it was humanly possible, but I did know it would be worth it if I could stick it out. That's a belief I've always had. I never would have worked as hard as I did if I didn't believe it would be worth it. I do do things all the time that I don't really believe I can do. I just show up and hope for the best and I work really hard and I just take it on the chin, right? That's one of my superpowers, I guess. But I knew it would be worth it and I just said, all right, what do I have to do? And he said, like, Kev, we are going to be wildly successful one day. Eventually. That's his favorite word. Eventually. It's like, yeah, I don't know what that means, man. What does that mean? Just focus on today. I got, I got us 10 years from today. Just focus on today. So a lot of the faith I had was put in him. And he says that all the time. It's like, I don't know why you trusted me. I didn't know where we'd go, but I knew where we'd go was better than where I'd go alone. That's, that's the best I can give you. And that's what I tell him all the time. It was that. And it was also the part of like, 
I know I'm a hard worker. That's never been an issue. I know I can outwork a lot of people. Like stick me in a room and I'm going to be fine. I just need somebody to guide me. I'm a really good operator. Day to day, I'm a really good operator, but I can't see the grander vision. So yeah, the faith for me was I'm fulfilled. I am fulfilled. And right now that is good enough. And then it was, how do I make enough money to get to next week? And then it was, how, how do I get enough money to make it to next month? Right. That those were the hard, I mean, yeah, my life was difficult before entrepreneurship. When I became an entrepreneur, that is nothing as close to how challenging that was. Nothing. No, well, you, you have to face everything, everything. That's the one thing, I, you know, one of the reasons I do this podcast is because I want people to know that it's possible, right? We didn't grow up with these models, right? Our parents were in drudgery, hating their job day in and day out, and they need to know that it's possible. And it's not that you have to become an entrepreneur. Nobody needs to do that because you will have to face yourself. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Every day, <laughs> every piece of it, every, because there's always, you're, you're always your own worst enemy. And I love that you had a partner that he knew that you could hold this part of the business and you knew that he could hold that part of the, the other part of the business. And together, this is why so often we can't do it alone mm. because we don't necessarily have all the skills and resources. Yes, I can do just about anything and I'm really great at a lot of things, but I'm weaker at some of those things than others. And well, if I'm all by myself, I can get it done. But if I want to go bigger mm. and do, how many episodes have you done now? Uh, 1,376, I think. So it's this place of, it's important to be at that place where you can ask and receive that support and help. Of course. Yeah. And what figure out what is your unique strength. Yeah. That's the other thing is, the interesting thing is a lot of us don't want to face our weaknesses because we're also not willing to own our strengths. That's a very challenging, the, the, the reason I am capable of saying I'm a really hard worker and I'm very consistent. I'm, I'm very, very consistent, but I also suck at a lot of stuff. I, I wouldn't be able to own the suck at a lot of stuff if I didn't, if I couldn't own, I'm really consistent. I just think that's for all of us. A, a lot of us make our strengths stronger and we make our weaknesses weaker because we only focus on the strength, right? right? Because it's, it's easier. The, the old adage of don't skip leg day. I'm a fitness guy. A lot of people <laughs> skip leg day because leg day sucks and then they end up not having great legs. And you know, it's, it's that, it's that cycle of, if you only focus on your strengths, you're going to get stronger, but you're never going to strengthen your weaknesses ever. Right. Yeah. I have one client who she hates admin tasks hates it. Mm. And so we did some work around transforming what her resistance to it was. She's never going to love it. <laughs> but now she, it's just a thing that has to be done sometimes. Right. And you just do it. She doesn't have that crazy resistance. But by taking the time to really look at that strength, instead of always, she's a big picture thinker, I'm a big picture thinker. So we don't love those details <laughs> so much. So I could relate, but I also know that you've got to face your resistance to it. And once you do that and you get to a point where you may never have to do it again, but if you've got to dip down into the trenches again, you can just do it. And it's not this thing that you're avoiding. 
when you're avoiding things because you don't like them or you think you're not good at them is better thing. Like when yep. you avoid things because you think you're not good at them, you're actually debilitating yourself. Yep. And you're stopping yourself from learning how to get better at them. So one of the, one of the biggest things ever, I tell this story on our podcast all the time. I remember we're probably like, I don't know, maybe 50, 60 episodes in. And I was like, we need to figure out a way to make these like teaser clips like Joe Rogan has. Like, there's got to be a way to do this, right? And Alan wanted to be in Hollywood. So he understood we have a friend that's a director. And he's like, he, he messaged him and said, hey, what, what software do you use? And he's like, I use this software. I'm like, All right, cool. So we bought the software on the credit card that wasn't maxed out pretty much. And then I proceeded to spend, I spent eight hours one day trying to make a one minute clip. And then my, my laptop broke. I had to buy a new laptop. Then I spent eight hours the next day. So I spent 16 hours making a one minute clip, a giant waste of time in the short run. But now, you know, however many years later, we have a business that we have a quarter million dollar business because of that one thing, because we have a business that does that. That never would have happened if I was like, this really sucks. Well, I did say that. But if I didn't allow myself to try to push through that, it is. It, it's so interesting how success is kind of set up in a weird way where if you optimize for easy or the path of least resistance, you're going to get hard and a lot of resistance later, potentially. It's, it's very weird. It's very weird how it's set up. It's not set up for short term. Life is not set up for today. It's set up for forever. And it's just a, it's a very challenging thing to understand. I think that is one of the biggest lessons. And most people are reacting to some sort of pain or discomfort or not wanting to feel bad about themselves or whatever it might be. And so they're making these short-term decisions. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm just not going to do this. I'm only going to focus on my strengths and not sit here and do this tedious thing of learning how to edit and cl make clips. <laughs> and I've done all that stuff over the years. And now I'm like, whoa, I can do a lot of right. things. Right. But that trying to get out of the discomfort of not feeling like we're good at this is a short-term decision. It's about trying to get out of uncomfortable emotions. And so we've got to continue always to push through those uncomfortable emotions so we can make those long-term decisions, those decisions that will pay off, you know, six months one year, five yeah. years, 10 years down the line. I am living out and you all are living out decisions that you made six months ago, 10 years ago, you are living the results of those decisions. So if we're always thinking about, I, I just have to feel good now, we're not going to actually create a life that feels good later. And I think that's the entirety of this episode where it does money buy happiness is more money the key to happiness and success. Here's the interesting thing. Money can fix a lot of external problems. External, not internal, external. Right. It'll make rent easier to pay. You're, you can buy a nicer house. You can buy a nicer car. You can buy nicer things, quote unquote. But it's not going to fix insecurities. It's not going to fix traumas. It's not going to fix triggers. It's not going to fix confidence. It, that's not how it works. That is the biggest mistake I made. Assuming external results would fix internal voids doesn't work that way. I bought a, a new car recently, the nicest car I've ever had. But I, I said this on our podcast. I said this on social media. When I bought this car, I did not expect to feel any different. This isn't 
I didn't buy this car for the same reason you probably think I did. It's not why I bought it. I bought it because I want it. And I've worked really, really, really hard to get it. It doesn't make me feel any different. I don't feel any more fulfilled, right? If anything, there's more pressure because I have to make more money now. So it's, it's actually harder. But 10 years ago, six years ago, I would have bought that car and said, this is what I need to make me feel good. This is what I need to make me feel complete. This is what I need to make me feel confident. It's not the money that's going to bring the internal results. It's almost like the internal results to your original point. They are what's going to help you create, attract, create, and then the last piece that a lot of us lose, sustain. There's no point in attracting something you can't keep because then you just end up heartbroken. You have to, right? You have to become the type of person who is capable of attracting, creating, and sustaining over the long run. Yeah, that's the big piece. It's like, once you get it, can you hold it? It's like, if you've got a bathtub, fill in with water, you're filling it with cars, fill it. But if you're, if you, the plug isn't plugged, Mm. you're just going to constantly have to feed it, have to feed it, keep fill it, turn the water up higher, more, 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 more money. But if you can take the place and the time to figure out what you've got to do to actually put the plug in there, you need a lot less to keep yourself full. Of course, mm-hmm. we have to take care of our needs, our basic needs. But as soon as somebody starts making more money, they're automatically buying more things and turning the water up higher because they think that it's going to close the drain. <laughs> yeah. Guilty. I'm, I'm as guilty as anybody. Oh, I, Me too. Me yeah. too. I finally got to this place where, oh, wow, I can actually live perfectly well on $36,000 a year. Like how crazy is mm. that in New York City, people? <laughs> I have to clarify that because that is really important mm. That because I don't need all that other stuff to make me feel good. And those things, the sports car, the, the brand new perfect job, you get the dopamine hit and it feels really, really great, but it doesn't last. So you've got to be able to create that consistency of feeling good all of the time within yep. yourself. On that note, Kevin, can you tell us where that people can find your podcast, how they can potentially work with sure. you if you want to be a coach, all of the te- give us all the good. <laughs> I, I always just send people to the podcast because I want to give you something free where you're going to get value. I, that's what I'm all about anyway. So just search Next Level University. We're on all the podcast platforms. We're on YouTube, a new episode every single day. You'll either love us or get sick of us. And then our website is nextleveluniverse.com. That has a lot of the deeper understandings of what coaching looks like and all the other stuff that we offer. Amazing. And, and I'm going to say a little thing, but I'm going to ask you another question in just a minute. For those of you that are feeling stressed out, trying to make the money, (laughs) you're in that place of career stress. You might not be traveling 10 months out of the year like Kevin was, (laughs) but you need to know that self-care can actually really make your career stress worse. And so I have this free guide that you guys can download called Self-Care Makes Career Stress Worse. The three reasons why it does that. And then the one thing that actually works, you can get that at elevatefreegift.com. So if unless you guys are driving, open up your browser right now, type in elevatefreegift.com and also Another browser window, nextleveluniverse.com. <laughs> so you can check out Kevin. You can get that free guide. And Kevin. Mm. So 
the moment that you went in all in on the money, mm -hmm. what did that man need to know that he did not know? Yeah. What we just wrapped up with the, there's nothing external that's going to fix your internal. That, that It doesn't work that way because think of it this way. Most of the internal stuff we have is from internal stuff of other people. It's that it's like, it just gets passed on. It gets passed on. It, it's not the fact that you don't have a nice car, Kev. It's the fact that you've never worked on yourself. You've worked more on your bank account than you have yourself. You're always going to be lagging with your own self-improvement set point, with your own understanding, with your own awareness, that work on you. And if you work on yourself long enough, you can get anything you want. Eventually, Alan's favorite word, eventually that right. that's what I would tell him. It's like, you don't have it yet. Right. And that goes to the famous Warren Buffett quote, which is the wisest investment you can make is in yourself. Mm -hmm. So when you're thinking about going all in on a program or try deciding whether it's worth it to spend the money to work on yourself, that whatever you spend, even if it doesn't turn out to be what you thought it was going to be, is still going to pay off tenfold at least in the course of your life. Mm. So invest in yourself, work on yourself. Thank you, Kevin, for sharing your story with us. It's super inspirational. I really appreciate you being here. And remember, everybody, when we feel good about who we are and what we do, we create joy and elevate humanity. And we will see you all next time on Be The Wolf. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode of Be The Wolf. Please take a moment to rate, share, and follow this podcast so that together we can inspire others to be the wolf.